Welcome to Game and Gadget Podcast number 25 for PixelRefresh.com. I'm James Woodcock, your host, and I have with me a very special guest who's dedicated an enormous amount of his own time to restoring game posters and box art for various gaming genres, including but not limited to classic point adventure games. And when it comes to click and point adventure games, whew, I love my point and click adventure games. It has to be said, I've been known for that. So fantastic results by this gentleman here, Jan Hofmeister. Thank you very much for joining me on the Game & Gadget podcast. Thanks for having me. So how did you become interested in restoring game box art and indeed the posters are often associated with it? I guess it started just with my gaming habits back then. Um, I played a lot of the LucasArts adventure games. Um, and those always had great box artworks. I mean, the artists like Steve Purcell or Bill Eakin painted amazing images for those boxes. Um, so those were always part of my childhood already, starting with stuff like Maniac Mansion and Zack McCracken. Um, and then sometime around 2008, I think, uh, I've a couple of years prior, I've moved out of my parents' place got my own place 100 kilometers away from them. So I had a lot of time while building a new life, basically. <clears throat> so I needed a hobby. And uh, I was already uh, deep into the Mojoverse. You know maybe the Mixed Mojo forums? Yeah. And um, but I know that you've been part of the ScumVM forums for a while. Um, so uh, that basically uh, brought me together with uh, other people who loved those games and uh, shared their uh, their passion by um, I think it started just with uh, cover scans, just box scans that were used uh, to build DVD covers, basically custom covers, which uh, incidentally was a hobby I already had at that point. Uh, for a few years, I uh, had a rather big DVD collection. By now, it's been downsized a bit, but. I loved doing uh, custom covers for those. So uh, basically it was a, a through line of uh, of interests that brought me to doing LucasArts custom covers. And then I thought, well, I have a few bare walls in my small apartment, which I could actually fill with LucasArts artworks. So th that's basically how it started with the first two Monkey Island games, the two artworks, uh, turning them into posters. So how many posters? I mean, I can see a glimpse of Sam and Max behind you there, just above yeah, your that's... head. For those who are watching the video, you'll see this too. So which ones are the LucasArts that really appealed to you? I mean, what, what were the, the titles? What was the game? Well, Monkey Island 1 and 2, for sure. Those were so iconic. I still have them hanging above my desk, just right here over my screen. Uh, always had. Now I have them at smaller size. Since we moved into our house, my office got a bit smaller, so the posters had to get smaller too. But the full-size posters are hanging in the dining room, so that's very cool. And my wife is very cool about that. Um, always helps. Yeah, so those two were always with me. Um, the Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis poster is hanging in the dining room as well. Um, but apart from Simon Max up there, 
that's actually an art print, not my poster, but the actual Comic-Con print that Steve Purcell sold and signed at Comic-Con. Very nice. Um, I Currently, I don't have any more LucasArts posters hanging, but I still have enough room and enough plans to do so. Um, yeah, but Monkey Island were always there. That's They yeah, were the most important ones. So what drew you to point-and-click adventure games as a genre in particular? I know that my first gaming memory ever, seeing a computer run a game, was Maniac Mansion. I was like six, I guess. That should be the time it was released. And we didn't have a computer of our own at that point, but my uncle did. And uh, during a visit, he I don't know exactly how it went down, but I guess he showed us, us the game. Um, and it scared me to hell, basically. That creepy old house, and I'm a little kid. No, that didn't work well. But uh, after that, a few years later, we got our uh, Commodore uh, 128. And so Maniac Mansion and Zack McCracken were the first bigger games that I played on them. And I think that kind of get, got it started. But later in the, in the 90s, uh, it really took off with... Monkey Island again, of course, because I was in an, at a perfect age at that point to play those, and we played them uh, among our peers and played them together, and we uh, shared solutions in school. And so I think the, the humor of those games uh, was especially what drew me to them. And, well, you could take your time with them. You didn't need good reflexes. That's always a plus. So yeah, I yeah, the nineties were a big big part because I guess I played all of them. I don't think there's a single LucasArts adventure game I haven't played. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> so after the Commodore one to eight, then what became? I guess it was maybe the PC platform that took over as the point and click uh, adventure test. Yeah, pad. yeah, yeah. I did take down a few notes because uh, I wanted to be prepared. But yeah, the eighties um, were the Commodore. Uh, years basically, and in the 90s, I started with the Game Boy, but of course, they weren't point and click adventures on the Game Boy. I think later on the later Game Boy systems, there were, but yeah, the PC when I turned 14, I got my first PC. So, um, before that, I could play on my brother's computer, but yeah, my own PC when I was 14, and yeah, it was PC gaming from that point on until far into the 2000s. And how did you yeah. feel about, because I remember I was into point-and-click adventure games before we had like the talky editions where you'd be reading yeah. the text <laughs> on the screen and in your head you were kind of imagining, how, how is Sam sounding? How is Max sounding? If I'm playing Sam the Sorcerer, how is Simon sounding? How are the dwarves sounding? And you, this became almost, it's like the people who say, I've read the book, but the film is not as good. And there's always that pressure then. When yeah, you hear the talky I... version for the first time, how that compares? That was mind-blowing to see talkies for the first time. I mean, I, I think it was Sam and Max uh, hit the road on my brother's um, PC, and it was crazy. It was like an animated movie. But before that, I know that uh, in high school, uh, a friend of mine and me would uh, meet up and play stuff like Day of the Tentacle, the floppy version, but we'll do all the voices while playing. We would read everything out loud playing those characters. So that was huge fun. 
And I think we based them off the few snippets that were in the intro. The intro was voiced even on the floppy versions. So yeah, they were partially voiced for us. <laughs> so it gave you enough just to establish at least that one title. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of your personal career, has it has any part of that ever lent to the kind of the skill set that you've been using in these endeavors, or has it just been completely a, more of a hobby? It's well, yeah. Well, it started as a hobby, um, although yeah, not the posters. I think when I did the posters, I was already working in the area, but I was always had, I was always a creative kid. I built Legos. I drew a lot. I I just found a stack of blueprints I draw of my toys. I mean, what kid does that? But basically, um, I was always interested in, in 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 building stuff, in designing stuff, and um, uh, I know that I always wanted to do something with movies, which was a long shot living in Germany because the movie industry works differently here than I guess in other countries. Um, but movies like, well, Star Wars, of course, in my in my young years were huge for me. Um, and I was always interested in how those were made. Uh, got a lot of uh, behind-the-scenes books and, and stuff. But when Jurassic Park came out, that was the point when I knew I wanted to work with computer graphics. And I did. Uh, shortly after, I, uh, I got in contact with a... 3D art agency in my hometown, uh, and the uh, the head of the studio was a former student from my high school, and an art teacher at that high school um, got wind that I got interested in CGI and did it for as a hobby, very well, not high quality stuff, but the the, the topic itself uh, interested him, and he he. Uh, contact me and a friend of mine that we stayed uh, each 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 Friday, I think, after school, an hour at the computer lab in our high school and do CG, basically. Uh, and he uh, hooked me up with his former art student, who was now the head of the uh, 3D agency. And I just went there. I asked if I could just check out what they are doing. And this led to smaller jobs I did for them while still in high school, uh, 3D art job, uh, jobs. Um, and that's basically what uh, started my career as a 3D artist. So after high school, I went into vocational training at that agency. And uh, now I'm doing this for over 25 years. Yeah. Fantastic. And that Jurassic Park cannot be understated how much of an impact that had on computer graphics. And Absolutely. I think you can even watch it today, the 4K Absolutely. version, and it uh, looks better that, than some modern films. <laughs> that's true. That's absolutely, it totally holds up. The sad thing is, back when it came out, I wasn't allowed to watch it in the cinema. My brother told my parents about some bloody scenes in those, so I was not allowed to see it. That was a bummer. I got everything behind the scenes, books and videos and whatnot, but haven't seen it until I was like maybe 10 years later. I don't know, maybe five years later, but still 
that was a bummer. That was something I regret. Yeah, still. But yeah. Or That's was that fate into, I mean, I'm not necessarily saying we believe in fate and all that business, but if you'd have seen it 10 years earlier, do you think you've had the same impact of this is what I want to do? Uh, no, because at that point when it came out, it, I knew it, I wanted to do that. So uh, it's literally at the point it came point out, I see. First time I've seen yeah, many yeah. other CGI based movies, but Jurassic Park always, it, it just came late. Um, but no, I, I think even not watching it uh, didn't impact my decision. I wanted to do it, do that, and well, now I am doing it. <laughs> exactly, <Still>. exactly. So, <clears throat> in terms of the applications you use, I mean, we've, luckily we've got the ability for those who are watching the video version of this. And if you are listening to the audio version, I would strongly recommend you also watch the video version. You'll, I'm sure, get some highlights and interesting points through the audio only version but i think this is more of a visual presentation so do you want to show us some of the processes and some of the applications you use yeah sure i try to share <clears throat> we'll see how that works we'll do photoshop as many people use photoshop i do too um let's get the window to the site there we are so I've prepared just a few examples where I can walk you through the processes I use. <clears throat> um, one of the uh, most recent ones is the Zach McCracken artwork. I'll just open it up. It takes a while. These files are huge, by the way. Since they work in print resolution, and I keep all my previous layers intact, so those files are huge. So, Zach McCracken. You know the I can say that it says discs for the Commodore 64 1 to 8 there. So, it's definitely <laughs> a scan. That, yeah, that's a scan. Uh, that's basically how it starts. Most of the time, I start with one good scan. That's most of the time what uh, makes me think, yes, I can do this. If I don't have one good scan to start, I, that's already hard, basically. So, if there's one, just one good scan, that's always enough to get me started. Let's watch it, get it closer. So this is usually what a scan looks like. You know, these colored circles, these are caused by the printing process from mass producing the boxes. So the first thing I always do is cleaning those up. But well, the end result is basically this. Gosh. But it's night and day, I think. Absolutely. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so in your mind so, then, would you expect that's what the source would have been before it went to printing? Is that what the aim is, to get as close to what you would imagine the source to be? Or are you adding a yeah, little bit of interpretation time, as well? Yeah, it, it's it's a balancing act. Um, so, of course, I have to imagine what does the source look like. This is probably much cleaner than the source would be, but... Um, in this case, it's basically limited by the sources I had. So the cartoon style by Purcell works at this clarity, I think. He he paints in acrylics, I think, and uh, gouache. So it should be a bit rougher, but yeah. I think it works for this style. So the idea is to take the scan, and what I usually do first, get rid of these circles, the off-screen printing 
pattern, which I can filter out with Photoshop plugins. So there are tools out there. And by now I've tried my hand at using AI to do it. It sometimes works, sometimes it doesn't. This is an, a commercial plugin I'm using for this. You know, you see it, it uh, kills a bit of detail, but we don't worry about, about that. Because working with these dots intact doesn't really work. It would just smear, they would stretch, and you can't do that. So we filter those out first. And for the first time on, on Zach, I've tried my hand on a tool called DALI. I don't know if you know uh, about that. It's an AI um, tool that allows you to replace parts of an image with other uh, things via uh, artificial intelligence. It's kind of a, uh, uh, well, it's not been well accepted in the art community because it's based on uh, material by other artists. But in my case, I'm not using it very much. I used it for the first time on here just to remove those uh, text overlays, the logo and the subtitle. And as one can see, it fills those areas with something. It's, it's a good base. Mm -hmm. I mean, the bread looks ridiculous, obviously. Um, but it's a good start. So it gives me my first clean background to work from. But um, yeah, I'll show further edits to that. So now we see we are still rather blurry, not as sharp as the end result. So the first thing I do after that, at least on this artwork, was uh, upscaling it so that we have better contours and the image is sharper. Um, <clears throat> and after that, it's puzzling together the missing parts, especially the stuff down here. There's so much, much text and stickers. So I look for sources like the manual. In this case, I think these parts came from the manual. You see they are black and white right now. So I have to color correct them to match. And going back a bit. Yeah, it's part of the, the lower area that I'm fixing with those. And some more, I think this was from a magazine cover and color corrected to match the rest. So you've literally Another had magazine. to take multiple sources and inject Absolutely, it it's, it's a patchwork of sources. So, and they all, none of them fit together, color-wise, detail-wise. Uh, so this first pass is puzzling them together as good as possible. Um, you see stuff like this doesn't match detail-wise at all. So that's going to be fixed later. But the first step is basically using all my sources to patch everything so that most of the text and stickers are gone down there as well. Yeah, that's the part I just painted by hand, which was missing. I think I had a low res source as a template, at least for those. But those were hand painted in. And <clears throat> what else do we have? I think up here where the subtitle was before, there's just some crazy stuff Dali created, various queue and, and warped pillars. So the next step would putting back in the original title so that I can use all the stuff between the letters at least. 
and then paint all the letters. And this is all, again, hand painting areas that could be the original painting, but we don't know for sure. But it looks good enough, I think. So, so when you're having to draw those bits in, are you actually using the mouse or do you have something like a Wacom tablet? No, I have a, I have a tablet. Yep. I have a, this is the one, a screen tablet, yep. which I can plug into my computer so I have it. But it's, it's a screen on there as well, so I don't paint blind. I know they're graphic tablets, tablets that are just a tablet. But these are screens <clears throat> that works quite well, but it's still very, very laborious. Um, what else do we have? Fixing the lower part. There you go. Painting in more detail. Hoping that it looks like something Steve Purcell would paint. Well, I, I wouldn't call myself an artist in this case. It's just trying to match what others have done. So I fill those in. And now one of the things <clears throat> that always bugged me was the bread. Not even after Dali created this weird bread, but uh, there was no source of the artwork without the without the bread being covered by a logo or something. So I said, "Screw it! I'll just paint it myself." So I removed the wonky bread. I found a source of at least the outline of it. It's from the hint book, I think. So that's the most the bread has ever seen. The quality isn't great, so. I just use it as a guide to uh, paint some outlines so that I can figure out the shape of the bread. And then I start filling in those areas, sampling the colors used here, painting over there, adding more detail and layers just to match the rest of the bread, adding those cuts, more shadows. And yeah, well, that's, that's, that's amazing. The bread. Wow. <laughs> so <laughs> trying to... <laughs> Backpedal a little bit over the sources you've used there. So you've used some like the manual, there's the magazine, you've used all sorts. And in terms of yeah. that source material uh, for this one, maybe and others, is this all your scans or have you managed to help get others in the community to send in? Some I, luckily, I have a lot of help from the community. I, I don't think I did a single Zach scan. By now, Zach McCracken boxes are really hard to get by. So they are um, really expensive on eBay, but I have a couple of collectors in my in my friends list, so they always like to help me out. And um, the people at the Mojo forum, forums are very helpful as well. So yeah, those yeah those scans are all sourced from from collectors and fans. And uh, yeah, that's amazing. I mean, what you had to start with particularly when you're having to add extra elements from other sources and then color match it as well. And you're also having, to, I mean, like the bread, perfect example. You didn't have the information, so you've interpreted, inter, interpreted, that's the word I'm looking for. Sorry, it's getting late, I'm dying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you've but... interpreted what the shape and, and you managed to match the art style. So you may not call yourself an artist, <clears throat> but certainly you can give yourself the qualification of fantastic restorer. Because that is Thank you. <laughs> seeing it step by step. What we've seen in the past, anyone who's probably seen it on the forums, for example, your work would have seen the final version, the high res. And I'm sure True. people have yeah. zoomed in and had a look and tried to work out what's happened. But now we get to see the actual work that's gone in. So that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. That's, 
yeah, yeah, you're welcome. But but it's true. I I never I've never shown my process before. So yeah, it's not always this this much work. But Zach is a very rare breed because there are so, so few different versions of the uh, artwork. Because that's what I rely on: different versions where the logos are in different different places, where the text is uh, positioned differently. I think the difference I had was the German box and the U.S. box, because those text subtitles were in either language and placed slightly differently, but it was minimal. Um, so yeah, it was great to get at least some crazy sources for those, um, and the rest was painting myself. I can go f through a few more steps here. Absolutely. I think the upper part was really lacking detail. So I started filling that in with some brush strokes. And I maybe something that Steve Purcell would do. So I relied on the fact that the logo would be placed back here. So th this isn't too obvious. And then there's still the uh, problem of cleaning up the thing itself, like the damage, your creases and folds and scratches, a lot of dust around these parts. And uh, so those will be cleaned up as well in another step. Hang on. Let's take a look at here. So these can be painted out. Luckily, today's tools, Photoshop especially, has some great tools to paint out stuff like scratches and dirt. So that helps a lot. Um, I don't think those were in there when I started doing these posters. So that's why today's posters look a lot better than what I did back then. Um, yeah, so just to show you a little overview of what was painted by me, that's basically everything I painted myself, for which I did not have sources. So that's all interpretation, but... Yeah. Amazing. These dots are all removed dirt, uh, dirt specks or dust scratches. So how yeah. many hours do you think this one took you in particular to get to this stage? It's, it's very hard to tell because, of course, I don't do it in one go. Um, not even the days I work on these are days that come after one another. So it's spread over months or maybe 40, 50 hours for this. I'm, I really can't tell. But yeah, this was one of the most uh, work intensive ones because I had to paint so much myself. Yeah. It sounds like it's a good job. It's one of the more recent ones because I guess over the time and the years you've been doing this, you've learned quite a few things and the, the tools have got yeah. better over time as well. Totally, totally, yeah. So yeah, I think the, the final step would be color correcting, just a bit more contrast, a bit more saturation, and then you can do these. Of course, now the bread is covered up again. So, <laughs> so I did this version, which isn't ideal because the K is now covered up. I assume that's why they did this for the box, just to make it more readable on the store shelves. But the good thing is when you do fan posters, you don't have to stick to the box so you can create a version that's much easier on the eyes. So everybody wins. <laughs> so in terms of the actual text then, did that actually take 
any restoration? What kind of work was actually done for that little bit? Because you've just inserted it in there as if that was the only trick that needed to be done. <laughs> well, yeah, I, had, I, I think I took that from the manual. The manual had a black and white version of the logo, so that was scanned at very high resolution and just needed to be cleaned up a bit with a bit of paint over for the colors. Um, so that was not that much work. Uh, the text is actually typed, so I had to find out the font used. But for that, there are pages, uh, websites out there that help with that. Sites like What the Font is a great one. You upload a sample of a text and it tries to identify which font is used. So this helps a lot because I have to do this for many of the posters, figuring out which fonts were used, especially when those uh, posters were built in the 80s where there weren't really digital fonts, I think. I think there were yeah. font sheets. Yeah, I don't think they would have had Google fonts back then. <laughs> yeah, no, they didn't. So... <laughs> Sometimes even the matched fonts don't look the same because the uh, the physical fonts used back then, if you may call it that, looked slightly different in parts, but it's good enough. You have to stop somewhere. <laughs> exactly. Amazing. So, yeah. So what have you got? Is there anything else? Because this is fascinating stuff. Please don't stop if you have more. I have more. Oh. Um Actually, I have more on this as well. As you see, I have now added the, yeah, yeah. the marble paper border, which back when I started the project, I hated those. I'm not sure why. I think they were too corny, which they are, of course. But they are a big part of the look those boxes had, so I recreated that pattern. It's not a scan. It's basically a visual recreation of the pattern. It's not 100% match because the way those marble papers were made or are still made today is a complex procedure of water and paint uh, interacting, which I can't simulate. It's, yeah, or, it's not exactly a predictable yeah. thing, is it? So, I mean, that's the idea. Right. It's meant to be a little bit more randomized. That's, that is right. I, I've asked uh, around if those original papers used for the games were still around, but I think it's, it was... Uh, John Knowles from uh, from LucasArts, former LucasArts employee, who said those were uh, bought separately. Those were handmade sheets of paper that were bought at a store, and then they photographed those for the boxes. So there's no sheet of paper that looks exactly like like those. So yeah, that's why I stuck with the recreation. But yeah, and there'll be people that specifically look for that. To feel like it's authentic. I don't think anybody will notice. <laughs> Until now. But, yeah. <laughs> oh, trust me, there'll be I someone hope, out there. Nobody. There'll definitely be someone out there that will go, oh, yes, I remember that randomized pattern. <laughs> and exactly. and they won't feel it's complete unless that's part of it. Well, now I blew my cover, of course. Now everybody knows. <laughs> millions of People watching this interview will now know. Millions. I, I, I can dream at that, but it will certainly <laughs> take the thousands. Yeah. Okay. Now, that's super, super good to see that broken down step by step, a real privilege. There are a bunch of layers in here in the list, but this isn't even the biggest list I have. I think Monkey Island 1 has a bigger one, but um, I can show you something else. Nope. Um, so you, you did mention right at the start that these are big file sizes. So what, what's the typical file size you're dealing with here? 
I think the the average file size is maybe one between one and two gigs, but I think the biggest one is like five. Uh, for these, at least, I've I've I did one illustration in my career for a game that was Back to the Future, the game by Telltale Games. That was an eight gigabyte file, I think. Oh, flipping heck! So, yeah. But I think these, this one was like three, Zack McCracken maybe three gigs. Monkey Island is like four and a half. Yeah, around those. Yeah, yeah but it has to be. <laughs> it doesn't have to be, but I don't really like to override my changes. I always like the flexibility to go back if I want to. Yeah, non-destructive as it were. Absolutely, yes. I'll show you this one. Because one of the things I've recently de discovered for myself was machine learning to uh, increase the quality of my sources. This is a good example of the sources I'm working with. This is, I think, the Italian big box. This is just a gaming magazine. And this is the uh, Korean box from Anki Island. You already see they are all different in terms of colors. Definitely. So that's always a challenge. But the one thing I always do is by now I've discovered to use machine learning to improve the quality and the colors. In the case of Monkey Island 1, I had the chance to scan the original um, uh, promo poster of the game. I don't know if you know that one. It was sold back then in the 90s in the, uh, the LucasArts store, and which is basically the... Uh, the file I based my restoration for this one on. As I said earlier, I always need one good scan to know I can do this. And well, that was a movie-sized poster print of the artwork. So that was quality-wise, it was already amazing. And the way this works, uh, the process of adding detail to these scans is basically taking my poster. So this, what you see here, is the scan of the official, official promo poster with amazing quality, obviously, but it's missing a lot of pieces of the image. So do I have the poster? Hang on, I show the other one first. Um, this one. <clears throat> it makes me smile when I see VGA 256 colors. <laughs> Amazing, yeah, <laughs> and it was amazing at the time because before, trust me, before VGA, you will know it wasn't all two hundred and fifty-six colors. We dealt with much less than that before. Since I've started gaming on the Commodore, who's had sixteen colors, I I know what a, what amazing uh, how amazing it was to see images in two hundred fifty-six colors, sixty-five colors. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I remember. So this takes a long time to load because huge file sizes. So there it is. This is the poster I got to scan. It is basically the box, sans the the system sticker, and it's like I think ninety by fifty or ninety by sixty in size. So huge, a lot of detail. So that's a great scan to start from, but. It's missing a lot of artwork around the edge. We have the logo overlays, which I always want to remove. 
because even if I create posters that in the end do have logos, I still want to have a poster without any overlays on them as well. So just the clean artwork. So the idea is, it's a bit complicated and I hope I can explain this. I have my low quality scan and I have my high quality scan. I align these as well uh, as, as good as possible, as well as possible. English language. <laughs> so I align these, so I have exact overlay of these two versions. And then I teach via uh, machine learning that the image that looks like this should look like this, which works basically. So hang on. So I have my I hope I can explain this better. So again, this is the high quality, this is the low quality, and this is what my machine learning turns the low quality source into. Wow. Which isn't exactly the high quality source. It's close, but it's not the same. But it's got you one step closer to the end goal, at least. Especially the parts I didn't have in the high quality version. That's the most interesting part. I, I don't really care if Guybrush looks great in this because I already have a high, res, high quality scan of him. The interesting part is, for example, what do we have in the low-res area, low-res version? That's not in the high-res. I think maybe parts of the pirate ship. Yeah, I think parts. So these parts that I didn't have in my high-res scan because they were covered up, I now have them in a, at a quality that's comparable to the high-quality version. So I can use those to patch into the high quality version to fill in any gaps. So yeah, this is this was huge for me, I must say. I think this one is even better to explain it. So because this magazine scan was really blurry. So I overlaid my high-res poster. You can see that the take ledge here up here isn't part of the high-res scan. That's the low-res. And this is what machine learning turns it into. So now I have this part of the image at a quality that's good enough to patch it into my high-quality source. And that's what I did to all my sources I used for Monkey Island, because that was the most important for me, because it started the whole project. It was the first post I made, so I finally was able to do it right. This is the Korean box overlaying my higher source and turning it into this. I think the Korean box was the one that showed most of the artwork on the sides, like the, the back of the hand and the elbow of the cannibals that weren't part of any other box. So yeah, that's, that's always a first step to turn my sources I have into something I can use at that high res. And let's just say that again. The first step. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, maybe not the first. Okay. I, I, after all, I still, still need my high quality source. Sometimes I have to clean that up first yeah, yeah. to have one clean high quality source. Yeah, but that is very time consuming. And that's still but very early on in the process for you. Yeah, yeah. 
but well, it's it's it pays off. It pays off in the end. It really does. So, and anyone who's read the community comments around what you've shared, I've always been very positive. I've not re I've not seen any dissent. And trust me, as someone who's done sort of. I won't say what I've done is restorations in any way. I've, I've, I kind of coined it enhancements to the, the music soundtracks, which were MIDI based. And, yeah, and I've those, done yeah. some like uh, point through modern hardware, which meant quite a few tweaks to the original MIDI files uh, in many cases, some more extensive than others. And you'll always get the people who think it's like the best thing ever. And that small quarter will be like, well, why have you done this? You're the worst person in the world. Forgetting completely yeah. that you've just handed it out there for free. But regardless, what I've <laughs> seen of your work, it's like, this is amazing. Virtually, I've not seen anything negative. Now, there might have been, but I've not seen anything. And for what we've seen just now, I can completely understand why. Super work. Thank you. I, I think I'm still my biggest critic myself. So and that's it, isn't it? <laughs> a lot of stuff doesn't even make it out there until I'm really happy with it. So... Yeah, well, that's... there's a lot on the on the back burner that isn't good enough yet. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of people that can identify with that, that there's ongoing projects and it's like, it's not finished yet. It just needs that little bit more. And then even there's when it's released... more years. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, that's it, yeah. So yeah, actually I have uh, the kind of walkthrough I had for the Zach, Zach McCracken artwork. I do have for the Monkey Island artwork as well, if you want to. Yes. <laughs> it, it's not as as detailed but it's still so, interesting sorry, i should calm my enthusiasm but definitely yes please this is great <laughs> the good thing is uh i didn't have to paint a lot for this one so that saved me a lot of work then again this took a lot of work and this is not all sources this is just three as an example i think i had like five or six sources which i had to do this too and I do all the steps I had aligning the higher source to the lowest scans is already a lot of work. So it's just a click of a button when I demonstrate it here, but it takes a while. Uh, so, all right, what do we have? This is the poster. Yeah, that's what I started with. Um, the usual steps were taken for those filtering out the, the screen pattern as I did with Zach. Uh, cleaning, it, cleaning it up, although this one was rather clean already, no bigger uh, creases or folds in it. Um, so I start bit by bit. These were easy to find out because they were at the, in the sky area, so they were relatively easy. This one already uses one of my sources I've upscaled. So I spare you the details on how to color correct those, but do we have a layers? Yeah. No, yeah, good. Good enough. Uh, so basically it's patchwork, adding all the sources I can find to paint out what I don't want. This is the Korean box. You can see how much it adds in all directions. Before seeing the Korean box, which I got shortly before working on this, I'd, I've never seen the elbow of this cannibal. So this is a first. Yeah. I think it's the only box that has that. Um, yeah, painting out more at the bottom. Something like this. So this is already quite far. 
I don't mind if this is overlapping. This I think this was made with DALI as well. So the AI filled these in, like the lag as well. But one thing I still had was this was the sky, and I couldn't find sources for it, so I just said, "Wait!" So I just I just painted. So I just repainted that myself, which wasn't as bad as I thought because you could sample the colors from in between these letters. You would paint big splotches and blur them together, add some texture on top, and there you go. Luckily, the sky wasn't very detailed, even in the original painting. I think I had a photo of an original print that hung at LucasArts. It was was a really, really small JPEG. I couldn't work with it, but it was a good guide to see that the sky didn't have any clouds. I did create a poster version with clouds in it just to fill that area because the original painting was always meant to have the title in there. But yeah. So yes, that's it. I The one thing I noticed is in all sources, the image was rotated slightly. So I straightened it. Of course, you wouldn't notice because the frame around it is always straight, but yeah, the art was always slightly rotated. And color correction on top, logo, and there you go. Wow. So how do you think you account for that tilt? And do you think that was a creative decision they made or just a curiosity? be, since it was in all versions of the boxes, even the ones that were framed differently, I think they just decided it looked better. Maybe the horizon wasn't level or something. Let's see the bones. Or maybe the top of the bones weren't. No. Although they aren't level either way. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't tell. Who knows? But the one thing I always noticed in all the sources I had, they all ended on one side at an angle. So I knew it was rotated. Yeah, well, maybe now people don't like the poster anymore because they know it's been rotated back by me. <laughs> <laughs> Million viewers. Yeah. Okay. But yes, that's basically Monkey Island. And the quality of this one is just amazing. Not because of my work, but because the poster was just such a good uh, source to start with. And since this was the first poster I did, it was always the most important to me. As I said, it's still hanging over my desk since I started this project. Now this version, not the old version anymore, of course, I've updated. But yeah. Fantastic. Okay, so much work. And how you're using all the different tools available as well to make your life a little easier, but it's still so much work for you to do. Totally, yeah. But I mean, you've said your wife is sympathetic in terms of you've got big posters around the house, but in terms of sort of, darling, I'm going to work on my posters now. I mean, how, how's that work for you? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think these posters will be used for the training data set. The, also, these aren't my posters in that sense. Yeah, yeah. It's really all about those artists. I mean, I've never claimed to, to to be able to paint like that. This is Steve Purcell and, and Bill Eakin and everybody. So, But there's no yeah. one else doing what you're doing. I, I think so. I, I haven't met anyone at least. Certainly not in the quantity so, anyway. 
I mean, there may be no, individuals course, yeah. who've done like the odd one here and there, but the the sheer quantity, and if I'll definitely put a link, of course, along with the podcast. But people will see we've talked a lot about Lucas Arts today, but it's not just Lucas Arts you've done. I mean, the Sam and the Saucer, which is another example, which is yeah. Like, yeah I mean, that's true. that's point and click adventure, but it's definitely not Lucas Arts. Inspired maybe by Lucas Arts. Yeah, but I think I I just. But they felt like they existed in the same realm, especially Sam the Sorcerer. I mean, I played the German versions, of course, so I didn't really have the British aspect that they had over the American aspect of the LucasArts games. So those were all games in German for me. So maybe that's why they weren't too different. Well, I I guess guess. you're very lucky because in terms of Sam the Sorcerer after three... I think it was more developed in Germany. So four, for example, and I think there's a five as well. I think they were German-based. And now there's a prequel, which I think is also German-based. That's true, but I've got to say I've never played those. I only played the first two. Well, isn't that ironic? (laughs) Well, yeah, I guess, yeah. We're turned off by the uh, 3D in number three. A little, yeah, absolutely, yeah that those looked terrible. I don't know, maybe the story and the puzzles were amazing, uh, but, well, it's a hurdle. It definitely is. So what else can I show? I had to have at least these prepared. This is just a little thing, just two layers, so not much to do. This is a painting, Drew Struzen, of Indiana Jones and Star Wars fame amazing, now-retired movie poster artist. Uh, He did this painting for Indiana Jones and the Infernal Machine. It was a concept for a promo poster, or it it slightly uh, looks like the European box, I think, but it wasn't used after all. So he shared this one on his website, and as you can see, it's really, really low res. So I think this is the most intense upscaling I've ever done to turn this into this, which basically can be printed at poster size. This cannot, but this can. So you've had much communication with original artists and have they actually been helpful in any of these endeavors? Uh, Partially, yes. Uh, Bill Tiller helped me out gathering his uh, his cover uh, cover art for the Curse of Monkey Island. So he sent me his Photoshop file, which I think is it was a collaboration between him. He did the colors, and Larry Ahern painted the did the pencil drawing underneath. So uh, yeah, when I contacted him, asked him if he has any material he was would be willing to share, he actually sent me the original Photoshop file of the Curse of Monkey Island poster. So. I'll hang on. I'll share. Do I share the screen or do I share? No, I don't share this one. I'll share a different window. I hope this works. Let's just take the screen. I've just. Uh, and if people are still listening to the audio version of this podcast, please make sure you watch the video version. <laughs> this is the one to do it. So, yeah, this is the one. And 
it had amazing colors. Obviously, it was the original Photoshop file and not printed on some box and then scanned and retouched. So this is the original color that was used in there. The line work is upscaled by me, so it looks a bit more detailed than it originally did. But yeah. So he helped me out, Bill Taylor did. Um, and I think Bill Eakin at least tried to. He sent me a few photos of his paintings, which I've used for a bit, but by now have been retired because I found better sources. But they were really supportive of, of the project, the poster project. So yeah, that's, that's, that was really cool, I was to say, yeah. I'll bet. This is the one you have a bed sheet of. Am I right? It's a bed sheet. Yeah. It's actually, I don't know if you can see behind me, it's my keyboard cover right now. You can just see Simon over my shoulder. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> but this is a rather old one. I think I'll redo this at one point. Oh, don't tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be emailing you every day. Have oh. you done it yet? Have you done it yet? <laughs> You will you will find out, find out first. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, these these, I mean, these are great artworks. So it wasn't hard to decide. I wanted to do these, and I think, as always, a great source was the the reason I did this. I got the UK DVD versions or the DVD box versions, which had the art rather unobstructed on the front, both of them. So those were relatively easy to to create either way. I just had to paint out the the uh, subtitle at the bottom. Yeah, that's amazing. By the way, this is the Back to the Future one I did for Telltale Games. So as this is one you really did, shall we say? What was the process on this one? I mean, what were the inspirations? What, what was oh the scope God. they created for you for this? I mean, what was the design brief? How did they say, right, we want this? Well, it all started with the with the fan artwork I did on the Telltale Games forums of Simon Max uh, in the exact same Marty McFly pose, stepping out of the DeLorean, just a fan art that I tried to make look like a Drustusen painting. Not to this level, but I tried. And well, they contacted me and asked me if I was interested in doing something similar for the game. So I said, yeah. And with exactly that actually, amount of enthusiasm a, as well. <laughs> actually, I had a full time job at that point. So I said, yeah, without thinking about when should I do this. So it was like two weeks of night work oh. next to my day job. Um, it was really rough and it was something I've never done before. I had to teach myself a lot of new techniques and I, I, I so wanted to use real pencil artwork for this. So I actually drew, well, I, since I'm a 3D artist, my base was a 3D model of Marty I got from Telta Games and the DeLorean as well. I lit and rendered it in a 3D software. I printed those out and created pencil drawings, actual physical pencil drawings of Marty and the DeLorean, which I scanned back in and used those as a basis. 
I'm not sure how much of that really shows in the end result, but yeah. But I think that's why it took really more time than I assumed, because it is what it was just really a new technique for me. But the brief was do the movie's poster, but with the game Marty. And I wouldn't dare to say no to that, even if I wasn't sure how to do it. And that's a nice yeah, credit to your name, isn't it? Pardon? And that's a nice credit to your name to have uh, oh, yeah, something absolutely. like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's... Yeah. But the only illustration job I've ever done, basically. Yeah. Where, well, come on, people, get hiring. This is ridiculous. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yeah, not if I need, need two weeks for this. <laughs> yeah, it needs a little well, bit more of a longer deadline next time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so back to the future. Super. So, I mean, our story of getting together on this particular podcast may be slightly a sad one, but I want to now do my confession. I'm already over being sad about that stuff. Because it's been basically since I started in 2008, it's been like this. So from the first poster on, those popped up everywhere on the web. Just Google Fade of Atlantis and you get already get the results of T-shirts and mugs and mouse pads with my poster version on it. So, yeah. Yeah, and and <laughs> I, um, without realizing, of course, I thought it was all legit because I was buying from websites where I thought there must be some sort of confirmation that there's the rights for these things. And I got... Yeah, the crazy thing is, especially the one you bought your, yours from, from, I contacted them and they said, I need to prove that they can't use it. That's interesting. Basically, I, they don't need proof that you're allowed to lose it, but use it, but they are... They need proof that they're not allowed to use it. So, yeah. And I guess that's tricky because you're restoring original works. Oh, I had no leverage at yeah. all. <laughs> Which is yeah. very sad. So this is why we're here, ladies and gentlemen, because I felt I needed to do something. Because I've ended up buying metal posters. <clears throat> People may be able to work out where I got them from. Metal posters with without realizing Jan's work thinking, oh, yeah, these must be, like, from official sources or something. And then I've come across these things, and you just happened to message me. And I think it was... Well, maybe I was a bit... Um, no, no, not yeah. at, no, not at all. Because when I read what you said, and then I did the research, because I'd seen on the ScumVM forums where you posted some things, but never made the connection. So when you messaged yeah. me, and I thought, oh, flipping heck. So without realizing, I've kind of become associated with the dark side of it all with, without any <laughs> ill will at all. So the least I can do is give you some exposure and having the opportunity is to see this for the first time, the process you're using is a boon for me anyway. So it's kind of, <laughs> I've not really paid a price for this, but fantastic work and i will give you the best post i can on this because trust me ladies and gents if you've ever looked that these you zoom in on the details it's fantastic so i want you and to they visit. are available for free to download for you free. Don't pay exactly so i mean if you want to print them of course you have to pay someone 
but yeah. I mean, how can we, as the the fan base, the loyal community, those are the well wishers of your project, offer you any kind of support? I mean, how does that work? Yeah, by now it's difficult because I've been almost through the entire catalogue by now. Uh, I have a few collectors, friends that really have so much stuff, so much stuff that I've haven't, I've never seen before. That's when the uh, back back of the box painting from Monkey Island 2 uh, got added to the project because I found a collector who just showed me the back of the Taiwanese manual of Monkey Island 2. And I said, well, that's the artwork. That's the one without screenshots and text. So there's still surprises to be found. I'm not sure how I could communicate those because I don't know they exist. Um, one source I've noticed uh, that's always been great are magazines, magazine ads, because back in the 80s and 90s, magazines always had these full page ads of just artwork. And those are great sources. I, But I can't really tell people to look for those. I mean, do, but I, I have so much done by now that I don't know if there's anything better for many of those, short of finding the original paintings. I guess. And that's the dream. It must be. That is the dream. Yeah. I, yeah. I've recently got a photo of the Outlaws box art, the original painting of the, of the which I'm restoring right now as well. So there's still new stuff to be discovered. Um, so, yeah. Is there any one kind of source or artwork or box art where you think, I'd love to do that, but I just don't have the assets yet? and it's been troubling you for years, or do you feel like you've gone through a the good percentage of them now? Yeah, I think by now I've got the most importance to me were Monkey Island 1, 2, the back artwork of Monkey Island 2, which I've done by now, and Zach McCracken, because that was one of my very first posters, and now I've just finished it. So, yeah, I think those were the holy grails, which are now done. I don't think I'll do those again, unless the original painting somehow gets scanned by accident, maybe. <laughs> well, yeah. we can but hope. Well, Jan, it's been an absolute privilege having you on. Having this show and tell has been a superb example of how much hard work you've put into this. So congratulations. Thank you again for joining. I hope all the community wish you all the very best and continue to support your endeavours. And this is me, James, for the Game and Gadget Podcast.